BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Come on. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Time for bonus. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show and our guest. We've been promoting him all day. He doesn't think we've been promoting him all day. He's going, Ben, you're schmoozing me. I go, man, we've been promoting you all day. So better step up and make it a great interview. And now I'm going to allow him to introduce himself to you. Take it away, bonus guest. Thanks, Ben. Andy Grimm from the Chicago Sun-Times criminal justice reporter. And I have nothing prepared. I did not know I was expected <laughs> to do a dramatic reading to, to open. I am no Mick Dumpke. Mick Dumpke uh, quoted the Iliad in the... In, of course, you know what? I don't speak Greek. So, Andy, I could, he could have been <laughs> making... For all I know, it's Japanese. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could get you in trouble with the uh, FCC. Or I guess... Well, whatever, Mick Dumpke thinks he's slick. Uh, anyway, Troy LaRavier, uh, as I said to you earlier, did a whole rap lyric, so it was very good. But anyway, next time you're on the show, you will be prepared and you'll read Shakespeare or something like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, the last time, Andy, uh, we did a bonus interview. It was about Smollett Gate. Jesse Smollett is one of our most popular uh, bonus interviews, still getting downloads. So we're going to get to Smollett Gate. Uh, I promised all our listeners we're going to talk to you about Justice Smollett, and you've been covering this story from the get-go. But I can't got I got the criminal courts reporter in the studio. Uh, there's a few other crime stories I'd love to talk to you about. So before we get to Smollett Gate, uh, let's start with Alderman Munoz, Alderman Rick Munoz, Ricardo Munoz. Now that's what they're calling him in the paper. I've known him forever. And uh, disappointed a lot of his uh, allies and friends with his behavior over the last few months. Uh, the headline reads, former Alderman Minos found not guilty of misdemeanor domestic battery. Andy Grimm wrote the story. So Andy, why don't you fill us in on uh, what, what that case was all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, Ricardo Munoz, the former Alderman, did not seek re-election this last term, but did uh, basically help get his successor elected. Um, so he had already announced that he wasn't going to be running again when these allegations surfaced. So the uh, testimony at trial yesterday, and this was a trial that's been in the offing for a couple months. Um, misdemeanor trials, a little more casual affairs. This was, you know, four witnesses, five witnesses over three hours, including uh, the alderman and his wife both took the stand. So uh, what there seems to be consensus on was that they had gone on a trip to Cuba and were returning uh, on the 30th of December. Uh, they got a layover in Miami. He hops in the shower because they, their layover was so long that they, uh, they had been given a uh, hotel room by the airline. So while he's in the shower, his wife looks at his phone and spots a text message that uh, is from a girlfriend. She finds this inappropriate and starts giving him the business. Uh, he continues to give him the business uh, all the way home. They get back. Uh, they fly back into Chicago on the 31st, so New Year's Eve. They're back in their home, and uh, they continue to argue about this. This is apparently not the first infidelity or situation like this that the alderman has encountered with his wife. He has a little rum from their trip to Cuba. Uh, his wife said it was the entire bottle. Uh, he said it was just a little bit, and that didn't furthermore that uh, he didn't get to finish one of the glasses of rum he had poured for himself because his wife threw it at him and smashed it. Uh, he also says that uh, she smashed through a uh, potted plant at him, 
she says that she dropped the potted plant in an attempt to get his attention after, uh, and at some point, uh, and this was the bone of contention. Wait, about these are all details that emerged in the trial. This was a testimony from his wife and Got from it. him. And Got so it. there are mild conflicts and inconsistencies between their two versions. But what it hinges on uh, was that at some point he made physical contact with her. She fell down. Now, the alderman maintains that she lost her balance as he pushed past her to get up the stairs, uh, that he pushed her. And uh, after being pushed by her, after she had thrown objects at him and he was trying to get upstairs, uh, she had kicked him out of the house. He was trying to get back in the house upstairs to get some clothes and medication so he could go then leave the house. Um, She said that she was, um, said that, uh, so there were a couple different verbs that were used to describe this contact and the circumstances that uh, caused her to fall. And this seemed to be what the trial hinged on. Now, immediately before this trial started, they had, uh, so last, this was supposed to go on last month. They found body-worn camera from a police officer that went to his ward office two days after, or maybe the day after, well, his wife went to the hospital and then reported him to police. So after they make the report, they go to the ward office and the sergeant goes and they tape him and he says, you know, your wife reported that you, you pushed her down. And he's like, well, I pushed her, but she pushed me. And then says later, he again repeats that he pushed her. Um, so by the law, that, that pretty much qualifies as uh, domestic battery. You have taken an intimate partner and physically uh, pushed them. And she maintains that the push knocked her over and she fell, bruised her wrist, hit her head on the stairs. Uh, he says that she, uh, as he put it eloquently at trial, that she fell on her ass. And, um, but she did have bruising on her arm. And she did make a report and did describe that she had been pushed down by her husband. Well, but see, here was the thing, right? So they amended the charge. The charge had said that he uh, that uh, he had pushed her ab- or about the body. Pardon me. She said that he had grabbed her about the body, and that was the domestic uh, abuse causing her to fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, they amended that charge to say that he pushed her about the body. And um, so at the end of the day, we get all this testimony. He doesn't deny that he made contact with her. In fact, says to a police officer on tape that he pushed her, which, you know, that pretty much clears the fairly low bar for domestic battery, right? You know, we've got a nurse saying she came in. This is what she told me. She hurt herself. And so what I'm assuming is that the prosecutors changed that charge, amended it to say that he pushed her about the body because he said he pushed her and it was on the uh, on the tape so she's describing being grabbed by the shoulders and shaken and that when he released her i guess on the backswing she fell back yeah. right um is that a push i don't know the judge did not think so he said that she's only described being grabbed uh, or being shaken but never pushed so judge acquitted said you have not met the uh, the burden of proof to prove your charge that he was pu- she was pushed about the body mm. So wow, what's your thought of that distinction? Um, I think it was a fine distinction, Um, and I think that fine and being very slender and uh, you know not fine as in well, that's a perfectly fine. No, yeah, right. It was a it was a it was a thin line. Slight, yeah. I I think I think what we're talking about here is a judge that I guess was looking at an incident that she thought maybe was mutual combat. Um, and doesn't want to get into that because that's not what was charged. And he's not denying that that, that uh, he made contact with her. So she's just going to say, eh, I guess I want to give this guy a break. Is, is, is 
just my entire conjecture, which I wouldn't have to put into a newspaper story. But if you're asking me my analysis, that's my, my guess, is that she thought there was enough here, enough broken glass, that this was a mutual conduct. Um, um, uh, now, this is not to say that uh, this is acceptable behavior. And, of course, now uh, Betty Munoz, um, you know, she said that she's got uh, hydrocephalus, water on the brain, and that she had actually sought medical treatment because she was concerned that uh, that there were uh, that this could have hurt her, you know, pretty badly. And she also maintained that uh, there was a separate incident in 2017 and a couple of others going back years throughout the relationship where he got physical with her. Um, and again, it just sounds like a very, very stormy relationship. Um, she said she didn't come forward. She said she had made calls to police before and that she was concerned that on this occasion she didn't call police because she didn't think they would put him on the record. Uh, I have not gotten my Freedom of Information Act request for activity at their house, but see if there's 911 reports to the house that didn't result in police reports. But, um, yeah. So, And what kind of penalty was he facing if he had not been acquitted? I think, I think it was just like a tops out at like a year in prison. Um, you know, if it was aggravated domestic battery, whether it was like severe bodily harm, a weapon used, um, that sort of thing, uh, looking at a longer amount of time. Um, you know, she pressed her case. Uh, at one point during the pendency of the case, she had gotten a protective order. Yeah. And she sought to have that protective order lifted, allowing him to come back into the house because they're going to try and reconcile. Mm -hmm. You know, and she's apparently she's been down this road with him before. Both uh, she's, you know, she... Walked out of the courthouse uh, after he was first charged, and um, you know was ha you know was distressed at the media presence, but was not too distressed to you know complain about his history of womanizing, his alcoholism, and you know he is getting treatment now. Um, and he had no comment, isn't that right? When when he came out of the courthouse, yeah, and he didn't have much to say throughout this. You know, we, we chatted a little bit in the lobby about uh, you know the reforms that uh, Alderman Lightfoot's trying to put in, and whether or not uh, you want your ward superintendent to be a you know a civil service employee or or, or a uh, somebody you pick. Yeah. Um, but yet um, he's uh, he didn't want to talk, as, mm. and nor does his wife, which was a change from her usual trips to the courthouse. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is one of those stories. When I read it, uh, I thought to myself, "Well, this is why um, so many women are reluctant uh, to come forward with their uh, stories of abuse, etc., because uh, this is the outcome. Um, you know, this is when it all said and done, and he walked." Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if she draws any vindication from this, it's going to be that she was able to air, you know, her grievances. And that, you know, but I mean, there is no real dispute about what happened mm -hmm. other than this, uh, you know, how it is she came to fall. Yeah. Was she shaken until she fell? Was she shoved? Wow, what a grabbed. distinction. Uh, how did she come to fall? Uh, all right, and uh, in the category of aldermen behaving badly or former aldermen behaving badly, another story uh, that's been in the Sun-Times, I believe you covered it as well, uh, Proco Joe Moreno, who is the former alderman from the first ward, is up to his eyeballs in uh, trouble. Talk about that case. Yeah, so Proco Joe, uh, this is around the time he's in his uh, he's in his primary race to to stay the first ward alderman, and he wasn't going all that well for him anyway. But then these, you know, he, he uh, the news hits that he had reported his car stolen. The woman behind the wheel maintained that uh, she had uh, been loaned the vehicle; they'd given her the keys, and 
you know, told her not to smoke in the car. She gets pulled over a couple weeks later after picking up the car from him and, um, you know, tells police, like, please, you know, I, I, you know, I have text messages from the alderman. Look, it, it says, you know, you know, something. He said that they had had a romantic relationship or, um, and uh, that he was trying to help her out. So immediately during the election, he says, oh, this is all a misunderstding, right? He apparently... Uh, was the misunderstanding was significant enough that he reported it to his the car stolen to his insurance company, uh, which will be something that somewhat differentiates somebody else who made a false police report, Jesse Smollett, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Jesse Smollett's false report, there's no real victim there, right? Like these two guys that get uh, interrogated by police, maybe can make a claim, but uh, the 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 difference here is he's also charged with fraud because yeah. it's insurance fraud to falsely report your car stolen. Um, and so, you know, State Farm or whatever is a victim there. Um, so, yeah, he has um, he's been arraigned. Uh, he has a plea of not guilty. And, um, you know, he's made some statements that are going to be, I think, hard to walk back uh, in court. You know, certainly the um, the, and the this uh, his, uh, I guess, would be girlfriend has uh, has filed a civil lawsuit for defamation against him. And uh, and of course, he lost his bid for reelection. Yeah. So. And uh, so what's the what's the status of that case? It has to come. When's that trial going to come? Uh, you know, so they've got like their, you know, the, the, the timeline they like to promote for cases. That's a this is, again, a very low level uh, felony offense. So, uh, so he's probably looking at something along the lines of a year. Like so we won't have like discovery and all that back and forth. This is uh Suffice it to say, as somebody who has a high profile and political clout, presumably, uh, you know, he's not. And, and is accused of the virtually the same crime as Jesse Smollett, he probably can't anticipate a real easy ride to uh, uh, an alternative prosecution. But again, as a guy with probably no criminal record and a fairly minor nonviolent charge against him, you know, a good candidate for uh, for probation and a fine. Yeah, uh, and that would be Alderman Proco Joe Moreno. Uh, and yeah, I remember when the, when the story broke uh, at the tail end of his campaign, and he had some comments he made to reporters, and then he then he disappeared uh, from the scene, and it was the fastest disappearance. I don't believe he did any campaigning or very minimal campaigning down the stretch yeah, those last three, three or four days of that campaign. Yeah, I, th- I think this all hit like a week or two before the vote, and he did. He just yeah, he completely went to ground, and I don't think he, the polling was that great. And what did he lose by like? 10 15 percent yeah it wasn't close and it's funny because the uh both i believe don't quote me on this i'm doing this from memory he uh proko got the endorsement of the tribune and the sun times i want to say that uh and i thought he was going to win re-election and then this story broke uh and boom it was just you know it, it ended so f- quickly and i just want to point out uh, one of my pet crusades is that alderman alderman and prerogative as an issue uh, is greatly exaggerated in the city of chicago and used to uh, justify all kinds of power grabs by the, the mayor uh, i in the case alderman and prerogative here's two aldermen who got in trouble and i don't believe anyone 
Even Lori Lightfoot can blame it on Alderman and prerogative, <laughs> uh, domestic battery case, and a potential insurance fraud case. Just throwing that out there. Well, but he did have something else, didn't he? Didn't don't Alderman get some kind of badge or something? And he had flashed oh, it at some lady in yes. traffic to try and like steal her parking space. Uh, for yeah. Parking. All right. Well, <laughs> what a memory. Yeah, that occurred. I remember when that went down. Uh, that occurred. I want to say about a year ago, and it was not in his ward. It was in uh, uh, Lakeview. Not far from Wrigley Field, I yeah, want to say. Right. And uh, he got in some kind of, uh, this is Proco Joe Moreno, not uh, Rick, uh, Rick Munoz. He got in some kind of argument with another motorist, and she alleged that he pulled up, uh, uh, he pulled out a, a, a city identification that, and yeah, said he boy, was a police you know, officer. We should pull this up on, yeah. on Google because there's a great quote of as to what he said, like, that's how we do it in Chicago. Yeah, that's how we do it in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but I don't believe he was charged with anything on that one. I, I This is all from memory. But so, it, so there was some sort of, yeah, there was some sort of question, like, why isn't that a false personation charge yes. for trying to you know pretend to be a cop? But I don't think he ever represented like But even that is not all a prerogative. That's just pretending you're a cop when you're not a cop. All right, but didn't he try to jam up the guy... <laughs> That owned the double door. Building. Yes, so, incredible memory, young <laughs> Andy Grimm. There, yes, which is probably also that very popular with people in the ward because okay. now it's a, a, a what a cooler store. So. Yeah, did you write about that one? That that actually went to to trial, didn't it? Wasn't there a? Case I think that's. That? I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think that's civil litigation. I don't know how that okay. went down, but you know, um, that's vaguely alderman. Now we're heading into alderman and prerogative, old-fashioned alderman and prerogative, where alderman's the king or queen of zoning in his or her ward, and uh, yeah, so that's more the alderman and prerogative thing. But in these two cases that uh, were in our system, uh, neither one. It just is bad behavior by alderman, <laughs> uh, which is a bigger problem, I think, than alderman and prerogative. All right. Uh, R. Kelly is in the news again. You did not cover this particular story, but I know it's something you know a little bit about. Just update folks on what's going on with R. Kelly. Yeah, so R. Kelly has uh, has multiple fronts that he's supposedly dealing with, uh, at least two here in Cook County. He's been charged uh, with the, uh, I think, roughly 18 counts combined uh, involving four different victims spanning a period of like two, 1998 to 2010 for sec- criminal sexual abuse. Um, and some of those, those some of those charges were recently upgraded since the last. So he's initially charged back in February. Gets a million dollars bond. Has to post a hundred grand. Can't come up with scratch. So he's stuck in jail for I think three nights before someone actually loans him the money to get out. Um, subsequent to that, he had a child support uh, hearing that he had blown off and uh, had been ordered by a judge to either show up with the money or go back to jail. So roughly two weeks after he's out on bond for his criminal case. He lands back in jail for child support, non-payment of child support, roughly $192,000 because uh, he apparently had walked away from about nine months of, or no, pardon me, is that right? Uh, yes, yeah, nine months or so of child support payments, uh, seemingly, I guess, in a bit of a huff because his uh, ex-wife had been uh, participating with reality TV shows uh, and things like that. Um, so... And then uh, he has also been sued by one of these four victims or alleged victims uh, of the criminal sexual abuse who uh, maintains that, uh, I believe, in 2015, during psychotherapy, repressed memories of uh, abuse that took place a decade earlier, uh, well, maybe not a decade, but some years earlier, uh, those memories came back. And she apparently has, uh, so he has sued for damages um, now. Kelly's lawyers on the civil case, what happened yesterday was they went in and they filed a motion saying that uh, the statute of limitations for this had passed, which 
I believe the statute of limitations, I think this goes back to the 90s, right? So the statute of limitations for civil litigation could have passed, but if she was a minor, you know, uh, if she had repressed the memories, you know, you see this in litigation against the Catholic Church or, you know, when they bring criminal charges against, uh, you know, people who are molested as children, that they, I believe that the timing of the statute of limitations starts to run when you're, when the repressed memories resurface, or it might it might go from when you're 18, not from when the uh, when the abuse happened. And they actually they have jockeyed the statute around on criminal sexual abuse many times because every time some appalling story comes out. Most recently, um, our friend Dennis Hastert, who could not be criminally charged for <laughs> criminal abuse yeah. in the 70s, um, that case uh, they changed the legislation. So basically, everything from 19 anything that happened. Um, you had like a 20 year statute of limitations and then you just, but you know what? No limit. And so, but it was retroactive only to like cases that still had legs. So roughly 97 forward, anything that happens there, you've got, uh, you can bring the charge. Danny Hester, former congressman from the suburbs, uh, former speaker of the house. Uh, yeah. As uh, I uh, the longest serving Republican speaker, maybe he was. Yeah, he was speaker of the House during the Clinton years. Uh, they, they put him. He came in there. Now we're on a tangent with a tangent. He was the third. If you recall, uh, I, can, I can't believe I could do this, Andy. Uh, Newt Gingrich was the speaker. And then uh, he stepped down. Uh, and then there's a guy named Livingston became the speaker. And then there was a Clinton uh, impeachment hearing. And it turned out that Livingston had a scandal. Uh, re, uh, mm -hmm. some kind of sexual scandal they could not have <laughs> sorry they could not have the speaker of the house with keeping a straight face on the impeachment of bill clinton for his uh playing around uh, on hillary clinton if he had a scandal so he stepped down and they put in denny hester they thought oh finally we found somebody who's upright and squeaky said, clean yeah squeaky clean and then 20 years later it turns out uh he was abusing um his power as a teacher way back when when he was at oh, the yeah. wrestling coach terrible yeah. terrible so he'd set up a barca lounger in front of the boys showers yeah oh, really uh uh so the republican party that's uh their you know claim to being the moral majority all right so uh uh so that's the r kelly situation so r kelly the r kelly's lawyers asked judge to throw out sex abuse suit uh, is the headline, the latest headline in the Sun-Times. Yeah, so they wanted to dismiss the charges based on statute of limitations grounds. Previously, they were going to just say, let's suspend this case until the criminal charges are done. He was in court uh, for a brief status hearing this week as well, so I should mention that. Yeah. Prosecutors turned over to the defense a DVD, uh, which is apparently a dub of the VHS tape uh, showing uh, Kelly having sex with one of the victims. Now, Kelly's lawyer, and this is an interesting development, Kelly's lawyer maintains that this is the exact same tape that was played for jurors in 2008 when Kelly was on trial for child pornography charges, a case in which Kelly was acquitted on all counts, um, largely because the victim and her parents did not cooperate with the prosecution. Um, so this tape apparently came from the hands of Michael Avenatti. He was the last touch before the prosecutors got it. Michael Avenatti, of course, is the attorney that represented Stormy Daniels in her lawsuit against Donald Trump. He's taken on other high-profile clients and has become uh, a, uh, gotten in the news for some less positive news because he's been uh, now charged criminally in uh, New York and California, I believe, with federal crimes. And again, it might have been a third case that's since been filed. A lot of improprieties to do with uh, monies he received on behalf of his clients and misappropriated for his own gain. Mm. So 
So uh, Avenatti, <laughs> about a week or two before the charges were filed against Kelly, shows up uh, at the state's attorney's office with this VHS tape that he says he has obtained with the assistance of somebody from Kelly's inner circle. Um, so now you have this 20-year-old videotape that could not get him convicted of a fairly straightforward charge of child pornography. I mean, this was the pornography um, 20 you know, or 10 years ago mm-hmm. in 2008. That um, Now your chain of custody includes a guy that by the time this case goes to trial might be a convicted federal felon. You talk about Michael Avenatti. I'm talking about yeah. Michael Avenatti, who has, you know, tried to slam Steve Greenberg, Kelly's defense lawyer, um, at every opportunity. Uh, Kelly's lawyer, Steve Greenberg, is, of course, likes to bring up all of uh, Avenatti's problems, but <laughs> Avenatti's problems are, are good news for the yeah. Kelly defense team, yeah. right? Because, again, uh, Avenatti also brought them several of these victims that... Uh, uh, you know, he's, he brought them to the grand jury. Apparently, some of them might think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 an interesting development in the case. Now, the the big news out of this was that they got the tape, and the other big news is that the judge said he would like to see this case go to trial early next year, which would be, you know, getting on to record time for Cook County. Uh, some of you may remember that R. Kelly was charged with child porn in two thousand and two, released like three of his most popular albums while yeah. awaiting trial and six years after he was charged went to trial in 2008 won acquittal yeah well wow, justice moves slow if it moves at all and i have a minor avenatti story to tell uh when avenatti's name broke uh for was being stormy daniels lawyer i i'd never heard of the guy before you know i don't follow uh, lawyers that much although i'm fascinated by lawyers and uh, so i just did a google ch- search and i've discovered on on his website that he used to work with Rahm Emanuel uh, way back when, when he was starting off. And this was when I had a radio show on that station that I never can remember the name of the station. Uh, and uh, it was an old radio show. Anyway, uh, so I immediately reached out to Michael Avenatti and I sent him an email. Hey, man, <laughs> we share a fascination with Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and he never responded because I wanted him to come on the show and talk about things. Cause he was way too big for my humble airways. By yeah. that time, he was on everywhere. CNN is that the other thing? Maybe be different now. Um, but what a fascinating character Michael Avenatti was for a while. And I know we're in a tangent with a tangent, uh, Andy. But for a while, he was allowing his name to be used. That maybe he was going to run against Donald Trump. Right. He visited Iowa. <laughs> I've just been thinking of. Can you imagine? Did you watch the last? to either one of the debates, uh, the Democratic debates. Watched a little bit of last night's, I was, uh, or pardon me, Wednesday's. Yeah. Okay, Wednesday. Well, just imagine in the middle of that if Avenatti was on the stage, okay? You know? Oh, man, yeah. Um, um, it would be entertaining. It would definitely be entertaining. But Yeah, no, uh, it's, you know, for, for those of us for whom politics is entertainment, uh, he'd easily be a gift on the order of Donald Trump to uh, the international media. Yes, that would be. And now speaking of the media, what... When you have a high-profile defendants uh, like an R. Kelly, or to a lesser degree, uh, Rick Minos or uh, Proco Joe Moreno, how do they deal with you, the reporters? I mean, they're you know you're all within the same space, you're all in the courthouse together, and when there's a break, you're walking through the aisles, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the courthouse. Do, how do they? How do you interact? What's the interaction like with the with the defendant like that? Uh, you know, most of them are, uh, you know, these are people that are fighting for their lives. You know, if not. You know, trying to stay out of prison, certainly trying to preserve a career. Um, 
a lot of most of them don't talk. I mean, there's a whole industry of people now that, that uh, get between us and uh, public figures who are in trouble. There might have been a time when, you know, you could chat up uh, Joey the Clown or something. Um, you know, uh, Moreno uh, would talk a little bit, certainly not about his case. Um, uh, but, you know, also the stakes are maybe a little lower. He's out of office. He's not looking at significant jail time. I don't know why he was willing to talk. We had a lot of downtime. Um, you know, Jason Van Dyke uh, never came near the press outside of uh, the, the interviews that they staged right before he uh, before he went to trial. Um, you know, Proco Joe has not talked to us, doesn't return phone calls. Um, you know, uh, we usually were communicating through attorneys. And frankly, I don't push too hard to try and talk to people because it would be uh, you, you'd hate to, like, goad somebody into talking to you, saying something that ends up, uh, you know, getting them it's not in their best interest you know I, I when i deal with sources that i'm talking to that are trying to give me information i try to you know i try to counsel them as far as um you know like hey can you you know is this going to you know just know that if it can, if people can connect this information to you like you're giving me information that no one else has got um you know th there could be repercussions for you i try yeah. to warn those folks well, off so i you know i figure fair is fair um you know, uh, but I, you know, I certainly don't cover up if somebody gives me something salacious and, uh, you know, that needs to be put in the, the, you know, if you say something to a reporter knowingly, uh, God, but we always try to give you your say and we, tr you know, we try to do it unmediated by a lawyer, but that's harder and harder to when, do. When you said there's people that they have hired to, uh, Inter, inter, intercept you, be uh, a block between you and them. Are you talking about PR specialists, yeah, lawyers? Sure. So this is a phenomenon that I think is starting to catch on with uh, with folks. Next, Steve Greenberg, R. Kelly's lawyer. He doesn't have anybody. Um, he likes talking. He's good at it. Um, Avenatti doesn't uh, have a press shop. Uh, Dan Herbert, Jason Van Dyke's lawyer. Mm -hmm. He had uh, a former TV uh, Chicago TV reporter who's now a consultant, and she works primarily with law firms. Um, Jesse Smollett Garrigus has a law, has a company out of New York uh, that we would deal with. Um, uh, you know, there are, there are different folks. So this is a new thing, right? Like it used to be, you could try to get uh, you could try to get something out of the lawyers, or they would talk to you. But now, increasingly, they are going to media professionals, and this is a trend. I hell, when I got into the field in two thousand, um, I think it was like fourteen to one public relations professionals to jur working journalists. And I can't, can't imagine that it's not 20, 25 yeah. to one nowadays. I mean, you know, you call over to, uh, you know, a f medium sized hospital uh, system and, uh, you know, try to say, I'd like to talk to a doctor about concussions or something. And, uh, you know, you, you, oh, I'm sorry, you got the wrong person. You know, we got four or five different people just for like, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, Western Shore Municipal Sisters of the Poor hospital system, you know? Yeah, no, in the old days, I'd lawyers I, well, I say the old days uh, but there, there were a lot of lawyers who loved talking to reporters and they were great sources of information uh absolutely if yeah. that day is ending i i rue that day because uh, uh lawyers were great subjects uh for uh, interviews all right let's move on to smollett gate uh a story that won't go away i talk about it about but once a week with ramana hussein she comes on the show every friday and uh, I'm fascinated with it on so many different levels, Andy. Um, and so I'm assuming that all of our listeners know exactly what happened. Uh, but uh, why don't you just give a very brief 
summary of what what this all began with, and then we'll direct it to where we are today with it. All right. Uh, January 21st, Jesse Smollett at the Empire set gets a letter, a threatening letter. Um, you know, they'll all, you know, cut the letters out of a magazine, you know, threatening I, and a drawing of a guy without getting hung with a noose. Um, on the 29th, he, uh, around like two in the morning, he's walking through Streeterville on the phone with his agent, he said, uh, goes to... Um, a subway near his house and claims to have been jumped by two men who hurled uh, racist and homophobic uh, slurs at him and while grappling with him, poured bleach on him and uh, and hung a makeshift noose around his neck. He struggled with them, escaped, went back to his... Uh, um, uh, went back to his uh, apartment and was able to... Uh, you know, he called the cops. So... Uh, over a period of weeks, police develop a suspect. They have um, they have surveillance footage from inside taxi cabs and surrounding buildings, and they track his attackers, like, basically from when they got up in the morning uh, all the way to the crime scene. It's amazing. Amazingly enough, mm-hmm. the crime scene uh, was not covered by a surveillance camera, so we have no footage of the actual attack. So we don't know how this went down. So these two guys are brothers. They know Jesse Smollett. One of them is his personal trainer and uh, apparently a fairly close friend. So they are uh, they are Nigerian or uh, second generation parents from Nigeria. Go off to Lagos for uh, two weeks. When they arrive, they're picked up at the airport by Chicago police, taken into custody and spend 47 hours being questioned, at which point, you know, by 48 hours, you're either charged or released. With a charge looming, I assume these guys cop to a story that Jesse Smollett paid them $3,500 to uh, fake a hate crime attack on him to raise his public profile. And uh, um, and so Jesse Smollett goes from being the victim of a hate crime to now a suspect in a hoax and while all this is going on, uh, so this he's charged on like I think the twenty first on the uh, on the thirteenth. Um, well, sometime about a day or two after the attack, state's attorney Kim Fox gets a phone call from a, uh, a prominent Democratic fundraiser. Her name is Tina Chen. Tina Chen had worked as an aide to Michelle Obama. Uh, she was when Mo- Michelle Obama was the first lady. She was her chief of staff. Um, she is now just a prominent Democratic uh, fundraiser and uh, very active in social causes. She reaches out expressing concerns about the investigation. According to Kim Fox, her concern was that there were a lot of leaks. The leaks were unfavorable to Jesse Smollett. She felt like the police were not uh, doing a good faith investigation, that they were, um, you know, casting doubt on this guy's claims, asks if Kim Fox would talk to her, if she could share, she could give Kim Fox's number to a relative of Smollett's. That relative and Kim Fox text and talk. Relative's uh, never been identified. The relative has not been identified, um, you know, I mean, by a credible source. Um, hmm. I believe there are all sorts of conspiracy theories as to what's going on here. Um, uh, but uh, Jesse Smollett has relatives who are activists. I believe his mother is a prominent activist out in L.A. Uh, his um, his sister is, a, uh, I think, an opera singer. I mean, you know, he has some uh, highfalutin relatives out California way. Uh, Kim Fox takes a call from Dean Chen, gives her number, talks to this relative. This is at a point when Jossie Smollett is considered the suspect of a hate crime. And on the record, the police department is saying, you know, we're investigating this. 
Yeah, the victim of a hate crime. The victim of a hate crime. Yeah, he was not a guy, suspect of a hate crime. Not the suspect. Yeah. Pardon me, the yeah. victim, yes. Now he becomes a suspect in a... Freudian slip. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, Jesse Smollett um, uh, is eventually arrested and charged with uh, disorderly conduct, which is a statute that includes filing false police reports. And he's charged with 16 counts. Mm. Uh, one count for basically every time he said someone committed a crime against him. Um and uh, he said it like eight times to one cop and eight times to another. And so they charged him with 16 counts. Um, Kim Fox had roughly a week before the charges were filed, uh, recused herself. And there is a great deal of debate, uh, some discussion within her office that's been detailed subsequently in emails and text messages about um, her desire to do so. She, uh, she said that... Uh, she just wanted people to stop calling her, so she was just going to that she was convinced to do that to do it by her chief ethics officer, but didn't feel it was necessary. That there was no real conflict of interest, and in fact, depending on what the conversations were, there may not have been. Right? I I, uh, I suspect that elected state's attorneys may take phone calls on, you know, they, like a like a like Father Flager probably can call somebody about a shooting in uh, you know in, in the South Side, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't know that this necessarily was disqualifying. We don't know what they talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but she recused reluctantly, announced that a day or two before the charges were filed. And uh, charges were filed. And roughly three weeks later, uh, or after his indictment, uh, at a hearing that was not put on the court docket, uh, they go up with Jesse Smollett's lawyers in a uh, very brief hearing. Uh, I think the transcript runs at eight pages, uh, dismissed all 16 counts against him uh, in, uh, with Smollett forfeiting the $10,000 he'd posted as his bond. And so this allowed Jesse Smollett to walk into the lobby of the courthouse and make vague statements about his innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, this prosecution or the prosecutor's uh, office now, Kim Fox had recused herself, so her top deputy said, you know, this is just a thing that we do. This was a low-level crime. This was a nonviolent crime. This was a, uh, a defendant with a clean record. You know, we do this all the time. It's called alternative prosecution. It's, you know, and um, it was described to me by a member of the staff before that as a deferred prosecution. But in fact, those all come with an admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at any rate, uh, subsequently the story changed. That they felt that you know they were first they were the prosecutors were steadfast that the uh, that they were happy with the the investigation was strong. I think they could have proved the case. Then they're like, yeah, you know, over the ensuing days, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't such a great case. We had uh, we had some concerns, and there were concerns voiced. So in the weeks since we've been here, we have gotten stacks and stacks of documents in this case. Just this week, the police department released in response to media FOIA requests. Know, thousands of files, you know, there's a lot of more video files of empty street corners from surveillance cameras, but there's a handful on them. And in this video, the, the two biggest uh, discoveries of the video were the arrest of the two brothers on the tarmac at O'Hare. And of course, Jussie Smollett, body worn camera of uh, a police officer going up to his condo in Streeterville and talking to him about it. And when they walk through the door, he's still standing there and he's got like this, this long, like clothesline uh, noose around his neck. And, uh, you know, and the police officer is like, they put this around my neck and the, and the police officers sort of, you can just hear the, the police skepticism starting to creep in when the police officer <laughs> says yeah. did you uh want to take that off or anything yeah and he's like 
yeah, I just wanted you guys to see it and takes it off. And, and it's just, uh, um, <laughs> you know, the, the police, yeah. the, the police leaks that were coming out that the, you know, TMZ got most of them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, just that like, man, you know, why would you keep the noose around your neck? And then, it, and so you can see that's the, where the skepticism started in on this. So, um, uh, I guess that about, so we've gotten all these files and then the other big development here is that last week, uh, a judge up move to appoint a special prosecutor yeah. to reinvestigate this mm-hmm. case. Now, Jesse Smollett's case charges were dismissed in what's called a nali prosequi, which is a Latin term, uh, like so many legal terms. But anyway, they, they were nali pros. They were not dismissed with prejudice or anything like that, which would have meant that they're not going to bring the charges again. So he could have been recharged, but the state's attorney's office probably not going to bite that off. Uh, a retired judge who is also an appellate court justice named Sheila O'Brien. Sheila O'Brien files a petition. Her law license is lapsed. She's just filing as a pro se, like a regular citizen. She's saying um, this was something hinky went on here. It's thrown the entire county and the criminal justice system into disrepute. And there needs to be a special prosecutor. Mm-hmm. So uh, a judge ruled not so much that things were hinky or that Kim Fox did something she was not within her power to do. He's not saying there was anything uh, untoward about how the case was dismissed, but he has now said that when Kim Fox circulated to her staff in an email from her ethics, uh, her chief ethics officer, that she had recused herself from the case, that recused has a specific legal term, and it implies that there was a conflict of interest. So based on her statement that she had recused, now he did find that there was not a conflict of interest. Now, we've seen special prosecutors before now, and so now Jesse Smollett now stands, his case, his class four misdemeanor, or felony, mm-hmm. now wow. stands in the same category yeah. as John Burge, mm-hmm. who had a special prosecutor. As John Burge, who uh, tortured uh, suspects uh, in various... In area two and yeah. area three for spanning, you know, 20 years or more. So police torture, one special prosecutor, go on. Uh, Edward Hanrahan. Edward the, Hanrahan. Uh, the state's attorney who ordered the raid that uh, resulted in the death of Black Panther leaders. Yes, uh, in 1969. Okay, so the murder, uh, in the, the murder of two defenseless people were sleeping, and one was drugged, by the way. That's a whole other story. <laughs> All right, uh, and go ahead. So that's another special prosecutor. Yeah, uh, and Jason Van Dyke. Jason Van Dyke, a police officer who uh, was caught on film shooting an unarmed, well, he had a knife in his hand. Uh, Laquan, Laquan McDonald, McDonald yeah, the, bullets. Uh, yeah this, uh, the infamous 16 shots. Uh, wow. So those are the four, the three other special prosecutors. Well, there, there have been others, and, and they crop up periodically. Here's another time there was a special prosecutor. The FOP protested that uh, recently that Kim Fox was, uh, uh, was shared the stage after... Uh, uh, the week after the uh, the week of the Jesse Smollett uh, case blowing up uh, in her face, she goes and does a, a press conference or a, a media availability, a, a rally at Operation Push. She's on the stage with Jesse Jackson and Bobby Rush. Bobby Rush says horrible things about the police department. Kim Fox is up there, and there's a guy on the stage named Jedediah Brown, who's a local community activist who's uh, been charged with uh, you know shoving a cop, uh, a misdemeanor charge, and. Um, so these uh, FOP says there are officers that have been charged or officers that are, that are, you know, this guy's got a criminal case pending with the state's attorney and he's clearly one of her supporters are on the stage together. They took a selfie together and he put it on Facebook. 
uh, there's a conflict of interest, so she had to recuse, and a special prosecutor will be appointed to handle that case. Oh, my. And special prosecutors are appointed periodically, probably more often than we know yeah. because of, you know, minor conflicts, yeah. more, or certainly less high profile, right? But mm. as far as, like, the, uh, you know, uh, high profile special prosecutors, Jesse Smollett is now in that class. Yeah, Jesse Smollett is, in, and again, we're talking about, uh, at, at best or worst, however you want to frame it, uh, making up of uh, a crime, a non-existent crime. So, uh, and, but the ramifications are, uh, they're powerful political ramifications on many levels, which is what I love talking about. But let's just talk for a moment about Sheila O'Brien. And you uh, you just talked about her, she retired judge who took it upon herself to, um, you know, press this matter and, and eventually forced uh, the appointment of a special prosecutor. Um, so much speculation about what is motivating her to do that. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that was the one of the first questions and certainly the one that's been bouncing around the building at 26th Street. You know, who, who is she running for state's attorney? Is she fronting, carrying the water for somebody who is? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just started to poke around on it. And um, she's had an interesting story. Um, I talked to three guys that... Uh, I know to be interested in running for state's attorney. They're sort of putting out feelers now and, and doing the groundwork. Um, they claim not to have anything to do with it. Um, I couldn't find any, uh, well, uh, two of the three. And one, the third did not reach out to me, but I, he was the guy that had the most tenuous connection. So I couldn't find any real close connections to Sheila O'Brien and any of the uh, contenders. And then there's this guy, this weak uh, Conway that has thrown his hat in the ring, I guess, speculatively. So, uh, I went and uh, looked into her background. So I, you know, I looked up her campaign history, her judicial biography. So she's a uh, she's from down in East St. Louis. Her dad was a uh, like a captain or a uh, like a colonel or something like a weird rank that we don't really have up here in the uh, East Chicago Police Department or, or East St. Louis Police Department. Um, so she's from down there. Went to law school at Notre Dame. Came back to East St. Louis. Uh, becomes a uh, becomes a public defender. Um, does a little uh, private work. Within five years of getting her law degree, she is appointed an associate judge in the 20th Circuit, which is like a five-county area down around East St. Louis. And uh, according to her own bio, uh, she is the first woman uh, judge in the county. And this is back in like 85. So Sheila O'Brien is down there, and she's you know, judging it up for a while. Uh, associate judge is an appointed position. Uh, she would have had to run for retention. In 1991... She marries a guy named Wayne Anderson, and Wayne Anderson is a judge in Cook County. At the time, I think he might have been the supervisor of the traffic division. Wayne Anderson uh, would go on to be appointed a uh, federal judge uh, here in the Northern District of Illinois, and um, he had been his he had been a an aide to Henry Hyde, uh, a suburban congressman, and an and he's a Chicago native and. Um, and he had uh, he had worked for Jim Edgar in the Secretary of State's office. So he had, and Jim Edgar, in 1991, uh, the Anderson and Sheila O'Brien got married. Jim Edgar became governor, and uh, Sheila O'Brien retired from her judgeship in East St. Louis. And uh, two days later, she asked to be recalled to the bench by the state Supreme Court and was appointed a, uh, an associate judge up here. 
This is a circumstance that I've talked to a lot of people. It has yeah. never happened. I mean, there are hundreds of attorneys <laughs> from Cook County yeah. lining up to get one of those judge yeah. appointments. And uh, for somebody, uh, you know, with, you know, whose probably strongest political juice is Republicans uh, to go and get a, get one of those plum appointments as a judge uh, is rare. Yeah. Um, However, and then no one can recall somebody coming from another circuit like that uh, before or since. Sounds, yeah, pretty bizarre, yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's face it, people get appointed judges. It's all smoke-filled rooms in Cook County or wherever this happens, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. before she would have had to run for retention. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, this story is so wild. She, uh, yeah. she runs for uh, First District Court of Appeals, which is the appeals circuit that covers... Uh, uh, or district that covers the Chicago area. And these also are plum positions. She claims not to have been endorsed by the party for this. However, she, uh, her, uh, her campaign chairman was none other than Alderman Ed Burke. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Hold on, just for some of our listeners who may not recognize the name, and I don't believe there's a listener out there with uh, regular listeners to the Ben Jarofsky Show, Alderman Ed Burke, 14th Ward Alderman, and uh, former head of the committee, Finance Committee, most powerful alderman in the city council, approves and oversees every single contract, every single TIF deal that comes to the city council until he had to step down uh, from that position uh, after he was charged and later indicted for, <laughs> uh, for uh, allegedly shaking down business for his property tax appeals uh, law firm uh, from people seeking business with the city of Chicago. And Ed Burke's wife is a Supreme Court Justice, Ann Burke. And Ed Burke, for a long time, as Andy Grimm knows, was one of the leading Democratic committeemen who was in charge of slating uh, candidates to run for Cook County judge. And if you get the party nod, uh, the party endorsement, it's pretty much tantamount to winning the election. Uh, so there we go. Okay, go but now continue with your narrative. Sure, sure. Now, this is in the early 90s. Ed Burke's reputation probably, uh, you know, far better than it was uh, now. At least not with uh, with people other than me. Uh, but I was never a fan of Ed Burke. But yeah. go ahead with your But narrative. Ed Burke and Ann Burke have made a lot of judges. That is just correct. Just through slating and just through influence. You know, yes. maybe you can't get somebody through the slating process because they're from East St. Louis. But, you know, you <laughs> put your name on. Now, so. Um, oh, my goodness. The yeah. light comes on. Yeah. So I still don't connect. So she's, I asked her about that. She said that they had been friends. And I don't imagine they were particularly close friends, but who knows? I mean, it, let's face it. This is how people get made judges in, uh, in Cook County. And the appeals court seats, I mean, think about how, the voting for this, right? You've got all of your local candidates. You know, you start with the president. You go down to, you know, the U.S. Senate and, you know, all your state legislature and your county board and your city council and all that. And then down at the bottom... There are like 70 people running for judge. You know, Ben, you and I are probably, you know, one of the, I don't know what percentage of voters in Chicago actually know the names of these people yeah. and certainly know anything about yeah. them. I mean, this is yeah. a real criticism is like, there's just like ballot fatigue by the time you get down there. Anyway, it's impossible to get information about candidates. This is why slating is so popular or yeah. so important, important right? Because yeah. if you can turn out votes like, hey, we're voting for this guy, it's important. Mm -hmm. um, another factor, curiously, and this has actually been measured statistically, uh, surnames. Uh, so there's something like a, there's something like a, like a 14% 
uh, variation. Like you will perform 14% better if your surname is Irish yep. and your first name is female. For some reason, people default to <laughs> Irish females to the point where a guy that had run as a Republican <laughs> unsuccessfully this last time around, a, a, a guy, it was like something Polish and he yeah. was a, a, a Polish man, yeah. changed his name to Shannon O'Brien or, or, or something like that and won Yeah, you know, after like three failed bids for judge. No, there is so much uh, prejudice and assumption when it comes to the judicial system, but for judges and lawyers, uh, aforementioned Ed Burke, when he was talking about... Um, uh, he was uh, shaking down. I can't remember which of the various people he was shaking down for law business. He was upset because the person he was trying to shake down, and I'm uh, doing my best to paraphrase the quote that appeared in the Tribune, uh, that person only hired Jewish lawyers. Hmm. So there was, in Ed Burke's mind, the great Ed Burke had distinguished lawyers by religion, Jewish lawyers, okay, which is something straight out of Archie Bunker. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Archie Bunker sure. from All in the Family. He There was an episode where he only wanted to hire a Jewish lawyer because they're smarter, according to the Archie Bunker, uh, the show, that particular episode. So yes, there's this prejudice that exists in the minds, apparently not just of Ed Burke, but of Chicago voters uh, as a whole. Somehow or other, that Irish name is more reassuring to them. Well, yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of Irish folks. I, uh, I think for some people, they uh, one of the theories, and again, there's no real way to tell because you know, most people are just stabbing at something. Is that there's some <laughs> conscious or subconscious bias that says, well, um, and, um, you know, Irish must mean white is, is one thing that they say. Because, and it's interesting because they don't perform uniformly in every circuit. Some people run countywide, some yeah. people run on sub circuits. In sub circuits that are predominantly African American, African American sounding names and surnames tend to do better. Yeah. You know, so there, you know, it works both ways but there's i mean it's, it's impossible the yeah. voters of the city of chicago and you wonder voters why i am so skeptical about your uh capabilities well, as, what are you going to do to to pick a judge where would you go to get information about what well, a judge thinks or does or what their character is or how often they get reversed I well mean, aside not a lot out there aside from just being prejudiced on a name you could go with the chicago sun times my beloved bright one that employs you and me and Dennis. And I will now, oh, there's no camera here. Every election cycle has uh, a whole comprehensive list. Tommy McNamee must be the one to put in charge of it. That of like every uh, law organization and how they endorse the judges. And I actually, Andy, don't laugh at me. I take that thing out and I make a cheat sheet. My mom, may she rest in peace, they used to make a cheat sheet for her. She would go into it and then she would give it to my dad. I did it for my wife, my kids. So there are other ways aside well, from yeah, being but just prejudice. That, that is, well, no, I'm just saying. Well, well, so to get into the, uh, I guess what I was going to say more about, like, it's not like they campaign either. There's judicial canons. Yeah. They can't go out and say, I'm Ben Jarovsky, vote for me for judge and I will overturn Roe versus Wade, <laughs> right? You can't, you can't run on that plan. Yeah. So they can barely campaign. They can yeah. just say, you know, Ben Jarovsky, you know, <laughs> experience, character, you know, whatever, right? So, you know, so anyway. That's hilarious, me running for judge. Yeah. 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 Do you well, have to be a lawyer to be a judge? You do. Okay, I didn't know well, that. I, I be, yeah, you have to, you didn't used to. Uh, there was a. What question. about Supreme Court judge? There justice. was this, uh, the last Supreme Court justice that was not that had not, did not go to law school uh, was um, back uh, was was one of uh, FDR's appointees. Okay, um, but uh, I think you always had to have you know I don't know that I don't know that there were real rigorous bar admission yeah. standards, but you could practice. Yeah, but there was one guy that. Uh, God, 
but I mean, but Hugo Black was a lawyer, you know, like yeah. you know, to say that like a, he was the Alabama senator that was appointed yeah. by uh, um, by FDR. Mm-hmm. You know, that he was he was a. I, I, we're in a tangent with yeah, a tangent, totally. but it was a very funny tangent. But uh, I, I can't remember. Oh, Sheila O'Brien, that's a fascinating story. And I know you wrote that story, and it ran. Uh, I think I told you this. I was out of town, so I haven't had a chance sure. to read it. Well, I mean, to, to, to catch you up, yeah. I could not find any reason. Now, so you know, so Ed Berkshire campaign chairman. Wow. He was your campaign chairman, and he was listed on the paperwork for like two or three years. Uh, he steps off, and uh, her the successor as campaign chairman was this lady uh, Laurel Bellows, who became the uh, who's uh, head of the Chicago Bar Association, and then became the head of the American Bar Association. So, you know, she had clout uh, from you know. I mean, or she certainly had powerful people in her corner. You know, and again, like. Ed Burke is a guy that made a lot of judges. Appellate court judges are even more distant, I would say, from wow. the voters. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so, you know, Ed Burke steps up. She, you know, I looked at her fundraising. The the records aren't, you know, I didn't have real time to go dig in, but she she, she had 20000 in her campaign account for her first term. She she uh, she spent, like, 13 of it, and um, subsequently in, like, 99, like, five, six years before she would have had to run for re-election, she uh, she just wound down her account, which means she raised less than five thousand dollars. So there weren't like a long. There's like nobody bought and paid for her. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, and then so she uh, in 2011, is that right? 2011. Yeah, she retired from the appellate bench. Um, she and her husband. Her husband works as a mediator. And in 24 by 2014, she'd let her law license lapse. She worked on a lot of political campaigns. She was on the finance committee for um, Chris Kennedy. Um, she worked on a couple of like judge races for some friends, uh, a city council race in Evanston for a, a friend of hers. Uh, and uh, I talked to the lady from Evanston, and she said, um, "She said, yeah, you know, we were always trying to get her to run for stuff. We thought she'd be so good. She's such a she's such a great person, um, but she's always said that that time has passed. And she maintained that, uh, you know, in the courthouse lobby after this ruling. She said, you know, uh, uh, what did she say?" Um, so she had to borrow clothes for the hearings because she you know, hasn't, I guess, needed professional attire. She's uh, mm. she wants uh, Netflix and like her, her family. You know, that's a, that's what she wants to do for. She wants to do what? What? Watch Netflix and hang out with her family. I, well, you know, that sounds like a fun way to spend a weekend. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's a very that little uh, uh, that the role that she's played. Uh, and the background that you just laid out is just like a fascinating uh, sub-story to this larger story because that just raises the question that so many people in Chicago are asking. It's like, who sent her? And mm-hmm. she's insisting that nobody sent her. Uh, she did it on her own. Uh, and uh, this was triggers in my mind. And as soon as I'm going to tell this analogy, Andy, it, I'm not in any way suggesting the two things are even remotely similar, but uh, Jack Ruby, who was the, follow me on yeah, this just, one. Yeah, like, take, it, take it wherever it's going to go. Edge of my seat. Jack Ruby, a Chicagoan at one point, uh, who relocated uh, to Texas and was uh, the man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, immediately, there was uh, the theories raging that the mob sent Ruby down to shoot Oswald to stymie uh, the any investigation that might lead back to the mob mm-hmm. in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And uh, Jack Ruby has always insisted no. He 
killed Oswald because he was so outraged by the death of Kennedy and what that did to Jackie Kennedy. And he was sort of like doing it for Jackie. This is what he said. Believe it or not, I may be the only guy who knows this, Jack Ruby's rabbi wrote a book about Jack Ruby, and I may be the only person in the world who read the book. And the rabbi insists that Jack Ruby, to the day he died of cancer, stuck to that story, that it was his act of vengeance on behalf of Jackie O, who I'm Jackie Kennedy, who probably didn't, I mean, in a million years would never want him to do that, um, that motivated him. So fast forward to the, my Sheila O'Brien uh, analogy, it could be, you know, it. she could be telling the truth that it's like she heard this story on the radio or read about it, read Andy Grimm's coverage of it in the Sun-Times and said, this is outrageous. I'm appalled by the, this complete miscarriage of justice and I want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, you know, and, and what is really fascinating though is in like in the Kochman case, there's a special prosecutor there appointed by Michael Tooman, the judge who appointed, yes. uh, um, who appointed the Smollett special prosecutor. Um, you know, the, this was a this was an instance where there was a conflict of interest. The the they were saying that the state's attorney's office would somehow involved in the uh, you know in the cover up of uh, the charges, so that they had to stand. There was no conflict. the The judge found that there was no conflict, and that only her statement that she recused herself made Kim Fox ineligible to be the special prosecutor. If you recuse yourself, the state law is if it's the elected state's attorney recusals if they have to they don't get to delegate as kim fox did the job of prosecuting the case to one of her deputies that you don't get to do that because it defeats the purpose right if you're supposed to be putting a wall up right even if you say you're not going to be involved if you're recused you're recused and you go to the judge mm-hmm. and or the chief judge and the chief judge will then appoint a special prosecutor and i'm uh, just to throw that out here this is an interesting process so uh the state law is when a special prosecutor is appointed the judge that makes the appointment, Tuman, must then reach out to the attorney general, the office of the appellate prosecutor, uh, which is uh, you know another state agency with prosecutorial authority. Um, and if those two agencies decline, then he has to go out and petition and request of every elected state's attorney in the state of Illinois, will you take on this case? Wow. Now, in the Jason Van Dyke case, yeah. Laquan McDonald, Every state's attorney in the state turned Judge Vincent gone down, except for uh, Joe McMahon, yeah. who for the Kane County state's attorney, County. who uh, who took the case, won a conviction. Um, you know, when the odds were probably not great. And I, I did a story about this. I think I think you're uh, two out of three cops charged uh, walked. You know, so okay, so nobody wanted to take that one on. I don't know if anybody's going to want to take on <laughs> the uh, Kim Fox case. Yeah. So um, after that, yeah. if all of those guys decline, then a private attorney could be appointed. Interesting thing: special prosecutor was appointed to investigate uh, a potential cover-up in the Laquan McDonald investigation. Right? Remember that three cops wound up getting charged yes. by a special prosecutor. Yes, they do. Yeah. That special prosecutor, Patricia Brown Holmes, uh-huh. Jesse Smollett's lawyer. Patricia Brown Holmes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, what's that? Full circle. Uh, yeah. Ooh, what's that TV show, D? Ooh. Oh, 
X Files. There we go. It's all coming together. The X Files. The outro music, or have you fired up some uh, X Files? <laughs> this is a lot more production value than the last time I was on. We're just up in our game, Andy. Yeah, like a like a we're like a morning zoo here. This is great. Uh, yeah, it's That's like a morning. The, yeah, there, there you go. go. Um, Anyway, man, that is some wild, as we used to say, that's some trippy stuff, man. Well, let's close this out, too, with the special prosecutor. We should tell people what happens here next, right? So when there is a special prosecutor appointed, they Mm -hmm. will now have authority to investigate the charges, charge them with two two tasks per the request of Sheila O'Brien. And that is that they investigate and potentially charge uh, Jussie Smollett for crimes committed uh, in this Incident, whether that's going to be a disorderly conduct, false police report charge, or they come up with something else. Mm-hmm. The, so potentially, Jesse Smollett, who looked like he was walking away free and clear, now. I, that's the part I don't understand. And people have asked me, I think people ask me questions because they think I know everything, which is really weird because I so much I don't know. But isn't, how can you be charged twice for the same crime? I thought that was against the rules. Uh, right, double jeopardy. Jeopard, right. Double yeah. jeopardy, yeah. thank so, you. So uh, double jeopardy, right, is it says you can't be tried twice for the same crime. So you can't go go to trial, uh, do the whole shebang, the jury acquits you, you walk out of the courthouse, and then they just charge you again for, necess- like, like, let's say, murder or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you beat the murder charge. They can't come back and charge you with, you know, aggravated discharge of a firearm for shooting that person, yeah. right? Um, so if you walk... No double jeopardy. They cannot take the same crime and take you to trial twice for the exact same incident, set of facts, the whole thing, right? But what's the difference here? Well, he never went to trial. His charges were dismissed before they'd even, I think they barely had started discovery. I mean, this was, they were, they, this was three weeks after he was charged. So you could still, you could charge him again. Yeah. And in fact, again, the Nolly Pross, they had, they had, Dismiss the charges, but they could always bring them back if they wanted to. If more evidence surfaced, whatever, they could they could go ahead and recharge them. So, basically, this special prosecutor could move pretty quickly because this and the Chicago Police Department. And in fact, you know, if you want to be special prosecutor, go online because basically the entire investigation is sitting out on the (laughs) internet now. You can read all the police reports, all that stuff. You can go and they'll bring these guys in. The the, the lawyer for these two brothers said that that they are eager to uh, speak to the grand jury. They pay you for that? Maybe I'll apply for that. They pay? I could use a little extra cash. D, you looking for another job? You can become the special prosecutor. And so then it's the, all on, on the line. Go ahead. Yeah, and then up. so the, the, the second thing here is that they're also to look for uh, improprieties uh, in the handling of the case by the state's attorney's office. Yeah. And to be honest, I've talked to a lot of folks. Um, I've talked to, and, and a lot of folks thought there was very slim odds of getting a special prosecutor. There just didn't seem to be anything criminal here. And, um, you know, and in fact, you know, the, the Judge Tooman didn't say, oh, this is clearly, there's some, something fishy or criminal going on here. Now, he certainly did seem in his intro to believe that Jesse Smollett had perpetrated a hoax on the city of mm-hmm. Chicago, but uh, he didn't really have a comment on whether there was some abuse by Kim Fox. And frankly, you know, in talking to a lot of folks, they've said that um, it seems to them that there were stupid things done, there were ill-conceived things done, but nothing that was beyond her power to do and couldn't easily be justified, um, mm-hmm. you know, outside of clout. Yeah. Uh, being involved. So they don't think there's going to be, you know, Kim Fox is probably not getting indicted behind this. And in fact, if Jesse Smollett is arrested and charged, goes to trial, found guilty, 
or uh, pleads guilty, yeah. Jesse Smollett is going to, uh, because he has no prior criminal history, because his crime was nonviolent, because no, he, there was no victim in a strict legal sense, although we may all believe that the reputation and of every citizen of Chicago uh, makes us all victims uh, of Jesse Smollett's slander. Um, in the eyes of the court, this is a nonviolent crime, yeah. and there really is no victim. So Jesse Smollett, based on his criminal background and the nature of the crime, will be convicted of a low-level felony and probably sentenced to probation, so he will not go to jail and uh, will probably be fined no more than ten thousand dollars, which is what he was, uh, what he, which is what he forfeited uh, for his bond. And, and we will be right back where we started. Yes, and I think all the conspiracy theorists, no matter what the special prosecutor comes up with, will still be convinced that this is a scandal that goes all the way to the Obama White House. Absolutely, and Donald Trump will be tweeting about this forever, and the Fraternal Order Police will be complaining about it uh, forever. And I'm just saying to all my Donald Trump listeners, and I know you're out there, uh, you're outraged because you think the Mueller report have a copy of the Mueller oh, wow. report, Andy. Yeah. Anytime you want to read it, you know where it is. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I know you're impressed by that. Uh, uh, the, my uh, friends of the Donald Trump loving persuasion uh, believe that there should be an investigation of the investigation of that led to the Mueller report. So mm-hmm. I, you know, they're calling for an investigation of the FBI to see whether the FBI uh, was uh, influenced by the Steele report, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on and on about this. So I'm sure my Trump loving friends out there will be calling for an investigation into the investigation that has led to the special prosecutor mm-hmm. uh, to come out uh, and call for an investigation of Kim Fox. Do you agree with me? You think they're going to be calling for an investigation of the investigation? You know, I, I, I just, again, because of when I think of what could likely come out of this, like Jesse Smollett's not going to go to jail for life. And Kim Fox is probably going to maybe get sanctioned. Like maybe she could like lose her law license or something, but I don't think she would have, you know, like these are, these are like worst case scenarios, right? So there's no way that like, since those things aren't going to happen, since he's just going to get probation, since she's maybe just going to get, you know, a, 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 a nasty report written about her, then of course everybody's going to say that they, you know, that, 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 uh, it'll be like Hillary's emails. And uh, and it's just gonna you know it's just gonna go on well, and, the, and the fix will be in there right the, they'll, fi- they'll yeah, figure the something fix. out the ultimate goal in my humble opinion this is just me speaking is to uh, have a, have uh, to have uh, an issue to use against Kim Fox and to defeat her at the polls that's the ultimate mm-hmm. that's their ultimate political goal uh, and uh, it whatever uh, collateral benefit that has to Donald Trump uh, and. And and also to uh, and this is the the biggest tragedy of all the whole uh, Kim Fox if she stood for anything good it was the the movement toward alternative uh, punishment to uh, putting somebody in jail sure. and that has a this could impact that that's the, the yeah I mean that this this now become when she talks about alternative prosecution the first yeah. time most people in Cook County heard that term was when she was saying that's what happened for Jesse Smollett yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so it is, It is. It, you know, one of my frustrations with this story is how much energy I have to devote to Jussie Smollett in a case that seems to be certainly an outlier in how things happen in Cook County, no matter what you think about the fix being in, um, in you know, all of these cases. You know, there are a lot of really, uh, you know, the, I have noticed a lot of people in talking to them like, yeah, you know what, I think the Smollett case stinks too, 
but I am not going to publicly criticize the state's attorney because yeah. she's so much. These are these are defense attorneys, obviously, um, saying that she's so much better than the yes. than her predecessors. And you know, one of the things you look at is I've, how many people have they in her during her administration? She has um, they have um, they have exonerated. I'm trying to think what the numbers at. It's like. I think it's like 50, 70 people in the years that she's been like, you know, almost as many as the entirety of the um, of the Alvarez administration, uh, maybe more. You know, um, they've done unprecedented things. They she dismissed uh, en masse, you know, 15 and then another like 18 uh, convictions against of low level offenses. These aren't guys that are, you know, sitting on, you know, 30 years in prison, almost on death row for murder. These were guys that were wrapped up by a corrupt uh, police sergeant by the name of Ronald Watts in the late or uh, in the uh, in the uh, like in 2011 in, t- in time frame on 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 petty drug charges that for some of these guys you know had you know got got them multi year sentences some of them they were a little bit longer and certainly have created headaches for them down the line if they ever get arrested for anything else because now they've got a you know, drug conviction right and she just wiped all of those out and that was completely un- unprecedented the the guy the lawyer from university of chicago who was representing those guys is now like going around the country and speaking to um you know like exoneration law groups about the tremendous success that's going on there i mean and there is this wave of these progressive prosecutors in new york and philly i mean philly's guy uh the da in philadelphia larry, uh, larry krasner yeah he's a former civil rights attorney he used to sue police for brutality um you know, the, and, uh, you know, Kim Fox was, I guess, you know, they were, she was sort of in that graduating class, right? You know, she kind of came on board with those folks. Those are uh, the guy in, um, uh, I think it was the Bronx DA, was somebody that she went out and uh, and conferred with after she won the primary. You know, like that's this where she's styling herself and now her signature issues all looks like, uh, you know, it's Jesse Smollett. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, it, in politics, you do what you can. And uh, they've, uh, her opponents, have found a uh, club which to beat her up on a little bit of speaking metaphorically here and uh that's part of the fascination of this whole story to see how it plays politically you're absolutely correct uh, my humble opinion your analysis yes well what do you think about this notion because i think that um you know there is a certain you know there, there are a lot of voices on Twitter that are saying, where was this outrage oh. from the Chicago Police Department and the public when Laquan McDonald was shot? Uh, listen, I, I've been saying that uh, all along. I go back, the, I may have used with you, I, I say it to Romano all the time. Where were they with the Kochman case? Right. And the Kochman case is the most outrageous Example that I can think of in recent history, and you, you follow this up closely, and I maybe have another example where the political pressure applied to the police force and the state's attorney that looked up the other way at what was an obviously a crime. We can argue. And for your listeners, because when we talk about outrage, no one probably knows what you're talking about because we haven't introduced the Kochman case. Yet. Okay, you know what? It's the second time today I've introduced it. Uh, yeah, right. I'm, I'm losing track of the fact that I had this conversation earlier. Uh, David Kochman was a young man who was uh, got into a fight with Mayor Daly's nephew uh, outside of a bar on Rush Street, and uh, the Mayor Daly's nephew punched him, uh, knocked him back, and he hit his head hard on the ground and died. 
and uh, there was no prosecution of Daly's nephew. There was no real investigation of Daly's nephew, and it was only my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, some intrepid reporters that spent like eight years. Years and years, years of dogged and reporting years. by yeah. Chris Fusco, Tim Novak, and uh, maybe some others. In Carol Marine, yeah. also, yeah. give her some mm-hmm. credit. Yep. And finally forced the uh, appointment of Dan Webb uh, to do, as a special prosecutor. And, to look at. and this took place, again, da- Daly was the mayor at the time this happened, and you know it was his police department yeah. that did the shoddy investigation of his nephew. And, and after the special prosecutor comes in, Guy gets charged. Yeah, and he spent, I know, spending, I don't know how many weeks in, in jail up in Lake County. But the point is, is that um, it, these are, all these things, they're outraged that people feel. This is this is one of my pet peeves, Annie, and I talk about, is that the, it's not the principle that people are outraged by. It's the political ramification of it. So it's not the notion that Kim Fox took a phone call and then intervened Mm -hmm. that really bothers them. It's that she's a liberal prosecutor and the person making the phone call was a a friend or or Mm -hmm. a former aide to Michelle Obama. And that is Democrats, uh, liberal Democrats being up to no good. If it were right of center Republicans doing it, you wouldn't hear a word coming from the same people who are screaming Mm -hmm. for Kim Fox's head. And so I've always thought I would try to, when I got into journalism, I was motivated by the principle of the offense. Do you follow what I'm saying? And then I'm so naive. I realized in Chicago and the way the world works, it's all a pragmatic, practical game in which you're using your outrage as a weapon uh, in sort of to knock somebody else, to cut your opponent off at the knees. So uh, there's a lot of cynicism. It's really easy to be cynical if you spend too much time uh, covering uh, politics. I'm just saying, though, that that's a powerful counterforce and the fact that there's nobody really lining up to challenge her shows that i think there are you know that there are a lot of people that may think jesse smollett uh is guilty and is a jerk but uh they also think that the outrage is is, you know the backlash is totally inappropriate and maybe helping you know i I just i'm surprised that there aren't people lined up to i'm surprised there weren't more people calling for a special prosecutor well i'll i'll be honest with you if if, unless there's something else really uh, outrageous that re- is revealed by uh, the investigation, I don't. I think she will win re-election if she runs for re-election because I don't think this is enough to turn people in Cook County uh, against her. Um, but you know what? We're at the early stages, and uh, so we shall see. Uh, Andy Grimm, I think we may have broken all records for a bonus interview, and I really appreciate you coming in. It's a blast. I'm going to twist your arm and make you come in more often. I really enjoy talking about these uh, criminal cases with you. So thanks so much for coming in. All right, that's Ben Jarofsky's show. Bonus time. Take care, everybody.